This is your place for all things Detroit Red Wings and all things Chicago Blackhawks. With your hosts, Jordan Linscott, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Tim Stampanato. This is the Stick Blade Podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to another edition of the Stick Blade Podcast. It is your place for all things Detroit Red Wings, all things Chicago Blackhawks, and then just general news around the NHL. Uh, tonight's episode is going to be a little bit light. A, not a ton going on around the league or with the clubs still because of this whole COVID shutdown. Um, just a couple of things to talk about. The Red Wings signing Albert Johansson to a three-year deal out of uh, Sweden. Uh, basically pretty good great defenseman from the U20 bracket over there who looks like he might have the chance to be a potential NHL player one day. And also for the Blackhawks, what are their plans moving forward now that the NHL has announced, you know, the second phase of returning to play? And then speaking of the NHL, I mean, I just mentioned the phase two of returning to play, what that actually looks like. Also, the fact that the NHL can't currently commit to a date for next season, even though we haven't actually played these playoffs yet. And also, I mean, what will the practices even look like, given the fact that these teams don't have full rosters on the ice right now? And then after we transfer out of all that, I mean, we're looking at playoffs right now. We'll just do completely wrong predictions and ask ourselves, you know, who do we think is going to win the COVID Cup, as we call it? So... So with all that being said, I am your host for tonight, Jordan Linscott, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, David Barnhouse and Tim Stampanato. Unfortunately, Nick is still not here with us tonight, so hopefully he comes back soon and we can get him in us action. But anyway, I'm going to stop rambling. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing well. Uh, Just working from home, teaching from home, following along with uh, all the movements and protests going on right now. and just want to give my support to everyone out there fighting for their uh, rights. Same on my end. We're just, you know, still working from home. We're getting ready to return back into the office in a couple of weeks. So I've been putting that plan together. But otherwise, yeah, again, uh, keeping keeping an eye on the protests, you know, supporting everybody that's working hard out there. And, you know, hopefully we start moving forward. That's that's a positive. So, yeah, I feel like we should kind of just dive right into this thing. Um We'll go ahead and just, I guess, start with the NHL because I feel like the NHL is sort of dictating what's going on right now, obviously, since they're the league and they kind of, in a sense, are in charge of all the clubs. So for anybody who doesn't know, the NHL has officially announced the second phase of this reopening. Um, From what I gather, basically, teams are going to be allowed to start hosting their own Uh, Voluntary small group practices that I believe are capped out to six players at a time. So you're not going to have these massive uh, practices where you've got 20 guys on the ice. It's going to be limited to six guys to start. I mean, I'm just happy to see that the league's making progress towards returning to play. What do you guys think of just at least this idea of limiting the practices? Well, of course, you have to come back, you know, safely and smart. And this is the best way to do it. You're not putting everybody on the ice. You're not putting everybody at risk. 
you know, you're you're managing it like you would a line change. This is basically like a return to training line change where you send some guys in, they do some stuff, then you send some other guys in and they do some stuff. So you got to work your way back up because, you know, the virus isn't gone, but we're trying to reopen stuff with all the testing that we've been doing and the treatments that's been happening. You've seen cases going down. So I can understand them slowly coming back because it's not over. And yeah, that's exactly it. it. You know, I liked, I, it's a slow process, but I like to see that they really are trying to do everything that they can to make sure that this is as safe as possible. Uh, again, you, you did a good job. You, know, you made a good point about the line change and that's basically what they're going to be doing. Just switching people in and out. I think it's going to be interesting to be able to maybe get some different combinations of people out there seeing what they can do in smaller teams whether it's passing drills anything they can do that's social distancing it'll be interesting to see how they mix and match with the people that they have on the ice i think that's going to be something i'd be interested in seeing but it's just it's just good to see that they're moving forward and getting hockey back I think the thing that's going to be really interesting coming out of this, at least idea of, you know, small group practices is I think when the league finally does come back and we start getting games again, I think you're going to see a lot more organized power plays because of this. I mean, yes, you can practice a power play with a full roster. Obviously we all know that, but there's something to be said about practicing with the same guys day after day after day, just memorizing habits uh, just your role on the ice position. Yes, these guys are paid athletes that are the best in the world. We know that. But there's still something to be said about just having that level of comfort with your teammates. And I think this smaller group practice is going to at least let us see the players who really did make the most use out of this time. That would be great news if we're able to come out, if the Hawks are able to come out of this with a tighter power play and maybe even maybe able to connect a little bit more. Maybe they work on some of those specialty things that they can do. If we can get our power play going, we can actually be a playoff team. That's one of the things that held us back massively this year was we just couldn't connect on the power play. So, hey, if we can get out of that with this, fantastic. You just mentioned it, Tim. I mean, the Hawks' power play, I feel like, was probably one of the weakest power plays that I've yeah. seen from the Hawks organization probably in quite a few years. I mean, I'm not trying to not trying to cut you guys down, but, I mean, let's no. just be honest. The Hawks' power play has looked atrocious basically all season. Well, and here's the thing. Even in the dynasty years when we were winning and always in cup contention, we never had a good power play. We just made up for it with a fantastic penalty kill and phenomenal five-on-five. Five. Our our power play, given the superstar talent that we had on that team, had on those teams, and now we're seeing it even more where the play in the other areas is slipping. Now the power play has just tanked, and you have to assume cycling through different coaches, and even when Quinville was still there, cycling through different you know assistant coaches. This is probably one of the worst. We had it. Near the end of last season, we had it, and it was clipping, and it was fantastic, and they lost that this year. And part of that is Dabrinkit's uh, been going through a scoring slump. You know, it does soft, you know, okay. Um, 
even Gustafson wasn't producing in the same way. And he even mentioned earlier in the season that he just was forcing the puck and he wasn't feeling it. That's one of my biggest questions is why? You know, when you've got Kane and Taze and Keith and some of these other people that you know them, you know they're good, you know they can handle it. I don't know why that doesn't translate into the power play. The Hawks are a shooter club at the end of the day in my book. I mean, it's never it's never really been a secret. Like the Hawks are basically a very forward loaded team, right? I mean Oh yeah. You you look at the dynasty years for when the team was really, really at the top of its game. I mean, Kane, Taves, Panarin, uh Brinkett really made a comp made, really basically came out, you know, these past seasons. So he wasn't there during the dynasty years, but I mean, overall, Chicago has been a very forward-heavy club, very similar to Toronto in the sense of, you know, the offense carries them through games more than the defense does, in my opinion. Now, albeit Chicago's actually had success, or Toronto's been terrible, but... Well, and building on that, I mean, it's in the actual dynasty years, because Panarin was actually in after the dynasty was starting to decline. I mean, in our peak, we had not only... Keith and a fantastic Seabrook, but also Jalmerson, who was, in my mind, he was one of my favorite players on the team. He's just phenomenal shutdown defensive defenseman. You know, we had Oduya. We've had, we had Sopel back in 2010. Uh, We've had a history, Campbell, Campbell, uh, right now we just don't have, and we're getting there again. I mentioned it last week. If Dahan can be healthy, if Boquist can take a step up, uh, Olimata was looking pretty good near the end of the year. Him and Cuckoo had a phenomenal, like, Corsi. Uh, but we are, and we have to rely on the fact that we're going to outshoot the other team. That's, that's where we have the same mindset as Toronto, and why Chicago-Toronto games are always exciting. It, it's a, it's a barn burner every time. But, if we can load up and just keep peppering them and keep driving the offense, that's that's going to be our, our best bet. Something I kind of want you guys' takes on, I mean, obviously the NHL is saying that teams are only going to have, you know, these small group practices right now. What do you think that the actual practices themselves look like? Because I could see definitely video becoming a huge part of this new wave of practices where you know these clubs have all these rooms that you could essentially put guys in who are watching what's going on the ice you have you know like a feed to the actual ice so everybody's at least watching what's going on while these practices are happening and the coach has like a direct line to all the players i could see something like that happening potentially i mean what do you guys think will come out of this well i think they're gonna have to get creative and that's you made a good point about video. I think there's going to be a lot of video, especially in this first play-in round for the Hawks, going over video for the Oilers, going over the games that they played, figuring out, okay, what what can we identify? What can we target? And we have to be creative and we have to be tactical with how we use our ice time. And maybe if it's, hey, we need to get tighter on X, Y, and Z passing plays. We're losing our neutral zone control. How do we address that? It has to be things where they can still social distance, 
but you know, I think the first couple of things are just getting back up to speed. Maybe some conditioning, some strength, you know, things like that. But I think we're gonna see some really creative practices that will allow them to sort of stretch their legs and stretch their, you know, again, this game, this is a mind game just as much as it is a physical game. And mm-hmm. they've got to start thinking that, you know, it doesn't go away, but it does get rust on it. And so I think that's going to be a lot of what they're working on. I mean, you see it in other, in other sports, the German soccer league Bundesliga has restarted um, and they're playing games and they, um, players on the sideline are wearing the masks and when they come off the field when they get subbed off they wear a mask and the premier league has returned to practice a week and a half or so ago and uh their players are distancing as they're training they're training separately when they're on the field together they're you can tell they're like six or more feet apart when they're dribbling and kicking the balls so hockey's a little different because the rink is a lot more you know confined than a soccer field or a training field but I'm sure, you know, they'll figure things out. David, do you think that, I mean, we were just talking about video. Do you think that when a club has access to as much video as they're going to have access to, right? Because, I mean, the season had, uh, what was it, roughly like 15-ish games per club left on the schedule when we left? Something like that, yeah, because we, we postponed middle of March and the regular season ends middle of April. So yeah, I'd say about 15 games. I mean, you figure, you know, an 82 game season, take away 15 games from that schedule. You're looking at about, what is that? About 67 ish, 68 games to say a video. And you've got months at least right now to study that. I mean, how badly do you think that teams are going to be scouted before these games because i mean these teams will have literally had a month to study their opponents for this first round of the playoffs i mean literally months uh i mean yes they'll have all this time to scout them but here's the other thing teams know that they're going to have all this time to scout them so coaches if they're a smart coach can change up how they want things to happen like on the ice with you know, movement of the puck, you know, dump and play, all those types of things. So they can they can scout one thing and just flip the book on them if they're a good enough coach. I think it's also going to be interesting. We have all this time to scout and all this footage, but the footage is several months old now. And even if the even if they come out and do the exact same mindset that they had, it's going to be a very different product than what you're seeing when you're watching hockey in January and February. This is going to be similar to a little looser, a little, you know, rougher. It's it's going to be a different product on the ice than what the what the video is showing. Hockey is it's really interesting, right? Cuz you have it's like you guys said, you know, coaches can make adjustments to the game plan with this off season or not i i want to say off season it's not an off season it feels like an off season but with this off time but also they're going to be able to make tweaks in game which yes we see tweaks mid game from coaches from time to time i mean david you and i can vouch for this jeff flash likes to do it it seems like every game i mean the blunder <laughs> the blunder 
I mean, how much do you think coaching also is going to take into effect, you know, what these matchups look like? Because, I mean, coaches can make these moment decisions where they start changing power play units or they change penalty kill units or they decide to start juggling these lines. And I feel like it's almost going to be like also just a more than ever battle of coaches when the season finally comes back. I mean, that makes me think back to Quinville and Quinville's blender, how he would see all of a sudden Marcus Kruger's just buzzing one night and it's like, hey, I'm going to double shift him. And it's like, okay, why why him? I see it. I feel something there. And Kruger goes out and scores a goal in overtime. That's We're going to be watching coaches make judgment calls based on how players are playing on the ice, what they're seeing. I think the eye test is going to be a lot more important right now than any sort of uh, analytics. Honestly, analytics are great for the long game, but in something like this, where you know, especially the play-in round where it's a best of five, to hell with analytics. Just go with who's working and what you're seeing and saying, hey, you know, McDavid's having some issues against Doc's line of all. Screw it. Put it out there. Let's see what happens. I think you're going to see more chances being taken because, well, what do we have to lose? Let's go for it. Yeah, exactly. We can, we can transfer outside of the league if you guys are, are all right with it and actually break down into the uh, the Wings and the Hawks news. Because I feel like the NHL's news this week actually directly fed into at least the Hawks side of the podcast this week. Um, since we're light on Wings content, I'll start with the Wings content. So uh, the only piece of news that I could find this week in regards to the Red Wings was that they signed uh, Albert Johansson out of the Swedish uh, league. So for those of you who aren't familiar with him, he is a defenseman played for, I'm going to butcher it, uh, Probably Yarstad BK. Uh, basically, he is a under-20 player who plays uh, defense for them. He had two goals, 11 assists, in 42 games. Um, he signed a three-year deal with the Wings, which it's an entry-level deal. There's not cap space tied up in this as well, which is obviously great. I mean, any entry-level deal, generally, there's not a ton of cap space assigned to it. Um, but the thing that I like about this signing is this. First, being... He's the third highest scoring junior age defenseman in the league, which is good for him. Also, he was tied, I believe it was either 8th or ninth among everybody under 20 as a first-year pro in the league, which is also good, especially as a defenseman of all positions. Mm-hmm. And then, what is it? I'm trying to, I'm thinking, um, I want to say, I want to say when he played for Team Sweden at the, uh, the Five Nations Tournament, he had, I think it was three points and was a plus five in four games. So he knows how to generate offense. And I think that's something that Detroit can really take advantage of right now. I mean, what are your guys' opinions on both him as a player and also just the signing in general? It's a great signing. Um, we have a lot of young, you know, defensemen in our talent pool. Um, he's one that could be great. He's Swedish and we love Swedes and Detroit. Um, you know, he's a left-handed shooter. He's good at two-way. This season at his uh, team, Farjastad, I don't know if I said it right, um, he had two goals and 11 assists in 42 games. So that's pretty good for a kid on the highest men's league in Sweden. Um, I could see him in the Griffins, maybe not next year, but soon. 
Yeah, just it looks like a quality signing, especially, you know, second round pick. He's moving. He's progressing really, really well. Uh, do you guys see him becoming a top four or, uh, you know, third pairing? Are, is there any projections for him right now? Uh, I could see him top four eventually. Okay. I think given the Wings defensive in pool, I think he projects as top four. I mean, just, and maybe you can either agree or disagree, David, but in my opinion, looking at the Wings prospect pool, I basically see it as this. Hironic will be your number one defenseman, or at least a top pair offense defenseman. Mort Sider looks to project to be a top pair uh, two-way defenseman. Yeah. I think that... If Johansson continues to produce and develop at the level he is, I think he's absolutely a top four offensive defenseman. Yep. I could see him top top four. I could even see Jared McKissick top four. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that kind of worries me right now about Detroit's defensive prospect pool, and I guess, you know, Horonic's not really a prospect at this point, but just... The fact that I don't see a true defensive defenseman, at least that looks to be a top four, so that's kind of worrisome to me. But maybe the Wings go to free agency and find one, so that's not a terrible thing to be really in need of. I mean, yes, you'd like one if you can, but it's one spot. I see Mort Satter's defenseman defenseman. Hello? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I could see Satter as a defensive defenseman from the highlights we've seen from him. He could shut down players. Um, we saw him do it in, uh, you know, the juniors. We saw him do it with the Griffins when he got called up to the wings, um, in the Traverse city tournament. I believe he played in that too. If I remember he did well, um, I think he'd be a, he's, I think he is a defensive defenseman. Yes, he can, he can do offense, but I think he's more focused on defense. Yeah. I think he'd be the perfect balance with Hronik because Hronik's the more offensive guy. He's the more defensive guy. Whereas, you know, you put them both together and you can get somewhat close to Nick Lidstrom, the guy that did everything. Uh, we already have Lidstrom. We just added an end to his name. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's what happens. Maybe uh, Gustav Lindstrom ends up being a top four defensive defenseman. And they let Moritz Sider become a two-way defenseman. I'm not sure, but I mean... Either way, I like this Johansson signing a lot. I mean, it's it's a low-risk deal on a player who looks to have true potential to be a, not, not a permanent top-line guy by any means, but at least looks to have a spot in the organization at some point. What's like about the signing? Um, I can't really think of any other Wings news for this week. Can you, David? No, we don't have a lot of news. So unfortunately, the club didn't make playoffs this year, so not much to talk about. And the NHL hasn't done the draft lottery or anything like that either. So unfortunately, it's it's a desert in Wings news. Um, let's talk about the Hawks, though, because I think there's a lot here to talk about this week. So the Hawks are making the playoffs, or at least the play-in round. <laughs> and that means that this next phase of the league opening up absolutely has an impact on them. What are you expecting, or what are you guys both expecting from the Hawks organization <laughs> with this next phase of the opening happening? Because I mean, as far as I'm aware, there were only, I believe, six players from the organization who stayed in Chicago. So a lot of them have scattered and gone elsewhere right now. Yeah, it's it's a matter of getting everybody back. 
now, I think, is going to be the first hurdle. You know, especially our overseas players, you know, get them back and let get them through the quarantine and whatever that they need to get back in. I think it's also going to be very interesting to see who they bring up. You know, obviously, you've got your main roster players and the people that were injured, they're back, you know. But we're going to be able to, they've extended the size of the rosters. And we're going to be able to have more people up here. And I'm curious to see who the Hawks decide to to bring up. Even if they don't play in a game, they're just black aces. I'm curious to see, you know, who they want up for that experience. You know, I'm sure that the three goalies that we're going to primarily carry are, you know, Crawford, uh, Malcolm Subban, and Delia. But they might bring up Tompkins. You know, Lankinen's, Lankinen was injured in March, so they won't bring... I don't know if he's ready but they've got a couple of different Rockford guys that would truly benefit, you know, maybe if they never even play in a game, but to be able to get those practices in there and at least be around the experience. But like we talked about earlier, you're also going to have to be selective with how we utilize the ice time. Uh, I'm curious about the combinations. That's going to be the next step. Mm-hmm. Yep. You said, you know, getting everybody back together is going to be the first hurdle. And obviously that's going to be the case, right? Because, I mean, you've got, if you're really going to take these playoffs seriously, which I'm assuming the Hawks will, I mean, why would they not? Exactly. I'd be upset if they didn't. I mean, you've got potentially a whole roster of players to get together. I mean, do you think that Chicago looks to the core players first and says, you absolutely need to get here ASAP? Or do you think they sort of let the players decide, you know, when they're getting here. I mean, I assume at some point the club has to say, we want everybody here by this date. But do you think that this core group is going to be the ones who are called here first? Do you think it's going to be basically get here when you can get here? Again, I mean, that could go any direction. I I would assume that you're going to want to get your core guys back in first, and primarily because that's who you discuss some of your battle strategy with. I'm sure... Well, for, Patrick Kane is itching to get back on the ice. He, he He's gonna be the first one out there, whether you say, get here when you can, or we want you here ASAP. Patrick Kane will be there. He, he loves the ice. Um, But I would assume you want your leadership guys already there, set up, you talk to them a little bit, and they also help set the tone in these uncharted practices that we were gonna have you know it'd be it's it'd be great to have a bunch of the young guys back in first and getting them all set up but it's beneficial for them to have that leadership guidance and that steadying hand especially going into for a lot of these kids and not kids uh one of their first playoff potential experiences Mm -hmm. i'd almost imagine that you'd have to look for that core group to come back first you look at this roster, right, and you're going to have kids who've never been to the playoffs like Doc, like Boquist, and, I mean, who better to lead that charge of, like, taking this team forward than the guys who've already been there and showing these new kids the ropes on, you know, this is how you prepare for a playoff. This is how you prepare to play in this truly high-stakes situation. I mean, I'd imagine that's what the Hawks organization would do. They'd look at guys like, you know, like Taves, like Kane, like Keith, who've been there and tell them, you know, you guys are going to be mentoring these kids both on and off the ice 
potentially during this playoff series. We want you guys to set, you know, set the standard, so to speak, and get here first. Just to, if nothing else, it's a public display to the rest of the team that hey, these guys are taking it serious. You need to as well. I mean, yeah. that's exactly what's where my mind is at with that. That makes complete sense, and they're going to be setting that tone from day one. I feel like. I feel like we've basically talked about the Wings and the Hawks uh, and the rest of the league at this point. So since this week is kind of late, let's let's all make some crazy predictions. Um, who's been in the COVID Cup this year? If you guys are going to guess, who was going to be able to just come out of this lockdown and s- basically win this cup just because the situation is so different? COVID Cup... I want to hear you guys since I came up with the idea. I want to hear you guys first. All so right, let's go. all right. You came up with the COVID cup, and I'm I'm gonna go for it. Oh man, it it's not even a fun pick. It, <laughs> it it's 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 Boston. I, I and I will stipulate. I want it to be the Hawks, but for the sake of fun and playing with the COVID cup, I tried fun once. Yeah, let's we'll try it again. Uh, Boston. I, I think that that team sets an excellent example of how you retool and you restock uh, supplementary players to keep a strong foundation and keep your window open. They've got a terrifyingly deep team. Uh, they've got a great defensive core. If Even with their goalies, you've got Tuka Rask and then you've got... Uh, is that Halak? Is Halak yeah. still... The, okay, yeah. Jesus, Halak too? Yeah, I mean that's that's where they are. They're stacked, and it's it's offensive, frankly. Uh, you get Brad Marchand out there agitating and doing what he does best and worst. You've got Chara and McAvoy. Bergeron is still one of the best. Crazy. They've got primarily their core, and then a bunch of other guys that they've brought in that are tight and they're a unit. I would not want to face them. Okay. Jordan, who you got for the COVID Cup? All right, so I'm going to say this first. Screw Boston. I hate Boston. They're like the New England Patriots of the NHL. I hate them because a bunch of people jumped on their bandwagon. And by the way, screw Marchand. Uh, Now, with that being said, my, and I know this is going to feel like a stab, Tim, but I got to go with the Oilers. I think McDavid and Drysaddle are going to come back and they are going to be absolutely bloodthirsty for a win i feel like everybody on that team is really wanting it this year i mean you look at the oilers and they've got arguably the next you know crosby malkin type combination they're both young they haven't really had a chance to taste playoff success they're going to both be really well rested and on top of that you added andreas athanasiu this uh postseason who is basically going to be a second-line winger or a top-line winger who can actually keep up with McDavid and just be ridiculously dangerous if he gets a playmaker with him. You added a guy like Mike Green also to help uh, stack your blue line a little bit and help add offense that way. And then you've still got some very decent depth with that team. Like, you've got Ryan Nugent Hopkins still. You've got Riley Shahan still. You've got all these other places... There are all these other pieces in place that were not amazing, but they were still definitely good. And 
we've seen this the past couple of years where these teams that are not thoroughly stacked, but stacked enough, are able to make very deep runs. And if nothing else, just so the fans in Edmonton don't have to be miserable anymore, I kind of want to see Edmonton win it just so they can actually have something to cheer for. Appreciate <laughs> and respect that. Their goaltending just makes me so nervous. That's the thing, but I... Like I said, I feel like McDavid and Drysaddle are going to be absolutely thirsty and hungry for it. I just, I really think playoff McDavid is going to be akin to playoff Crosby. They have to outshoot their okay. opponents, and they got to go out every night and do that. But if they can do that, I, I think they have a possibility. Okay. All right. I thought about this, and you know, like uh, Jordan said, fuck Boston. I hate Brad Marchand. He's a piece of garbage. Boston, he's a heel. But I think Boston is the COVID champions. Are you both? What? Like you were saying, that team is scary deep, like on all parts of the ice, you know, forward, defenseman, and goaltending. Um, they have some older guys, and I think this break is going to help them kind of rest and rejuvenate to come into this postseason strong. Um, I'd like to see, you know, an underdog team like Edmonton or a Nashville win it. Right. Nashville. Are they in it? I just make that up. Right. Yeah. No, they're in it. I was so, struggling yeah. to try and remember for a second. I'm, I'm on Tankathon and it's, it's showing like the possible matchups. So yeah. Um, unfortunately, Boston. Now, my question for you guys is: With the COVID Cup, is there an asterisk next to it? No way. You know, you know, meaning like, hey, this team is the champions, but it was a shortened season, and you know, this all stuff happened. What do you think? They asked Patrick Sharp about that uh, because the 2013 Cup was a shortened lockout season, and you know, they asked. Patrick Sharp, they're like, hey, do you feel like with that 2013 run and that 2013 cup, do you feel like there's an asterisk? And he goes, absolutely not. He goes, they don't, you're not going to care. You're going to have the Stanley Cup. And it's, I, I, it's still going to be hard. They're still going to have to earn it. And they still, they played 70 games out of the 82 games. Like, it's not like <laughs> they didn't work to get there and now with this playing round plus the playoffs if anything it won't be an asterisk but you'll always re- it'll be memorable it's going to be wicked memorable but i don't think there's going to be an asterisk i might be the only one on that but i don't know i actually think there's not Sorry, an asterisk i actually think that this is if anything going to be like this is going to be almost a more memorable cup because of what happened i mean when you go into these playoffs no team is going to have the excuse anymore of oh well we were we were all banged up from the regular season we weren't well rested or oh all of our guys were sick or got injured so we weren't able to play you know our top performance at the playoffs everybody's had a rest period at this point this is going to be whoever wins this stanley cup they're going to be able to absolutely brag about this to anybody you can't give, like I said, the excuses of, well, we weren't well-rested or we weren't, you know, a full roster. These teams have had months to rest and the players mm-hmm. have had months 
to really I don't want to say be at peak performance because they haven't had peak conditions, but injuries like that should be gone by the time that we start resuming, at least for the most part. None I mean, of us what, thought the Lightning was going to win. They were my second choice. <laughs> that, just, that just stuck with me for a second. Like, talk about a team that loaded up and has, like, uh, they weren't even yeah, on my Yeah, they're mind my second choice. Now. It was yeah. very close. Like, it was, it was neck and neck, but I had to go with Boston just to get Jordan's reaction. Definitely fair. <laughs> I will say this, though. Nothing would make me happier than to watch Boston make it to the finals again and lose again in Game 7. Nothing would make me happier. So what you're telling me is the Hawks have to get there and vanquish Boston in Game 7. I hear you. I'm on the same page. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have it on my phone anymore, but I had this fantastic meme that one of my buddies sent me after Game 7 of the playoffs last year. And it has a picture of the guy from Nickelback, and he's holding up a photograph, and it says, look at this photograph. Every time I do, it makes me laugh. And it's a picture of Brad Marchand on the bench with his hand around his mouth like he's crying. I could not stop sharing that photo with people. It was funny. I love it. That's hilarious. (laughs) I mean... I don't have hatred for any sports teams except for Boston and except for LA. Those are the only two teams I actually actively hate. So to see Boston lose at the very last minute would be glorious. Let's do that for you. I mean, I think that's basically going to wrap up uh, the discussion for this week. Does anybody have anything else that they want to talk about before we uh, wrap this episode? Mm, Nope. I just, uh, probably the only thing, you know, we're seeing a lot of, you know, with the the protests and the fighting for human rights and, you know, black lives, we're seeing hockey, which is predominantly a white sport. And we've always had, you know, the black players that, you know, come forward and they're telling their stories and sharing their stories. But mm-hmm. I think the cool thing right now is we're finally seeing white players and white superstars coming out and you know i i've been looking at like tain and uh kane and Taze's posts on instagram and twitter in the last week and it's been yep. it gives you a lot of hope that from all of this maybe maybe things will start to change and there's an acknowledgement and an acceptance and people are finally listening and that's yeah that's really and, exciting and with the red wings we have a guy on the Griffins who we love seeing get called up every so often. I mean, Jordan, and I've talked about a lot in this, in the show, Giovanni Smith, and he's yeah. faced like so much, you know, racist vitriol from, you know, v- opposing fans. And he, he's grown from it and he's become stronger from it. And, you know, um, it's great seeing players that are superstars that like are known in sports in general, like Patrick Kane, like people know who Patrick Kane is. Right. And seeing him come out and making his statements. And you and I talked about earlier, Tyler Sagan and, uh, you know, Jonathan Taves and like everyone. It's just great showing everyone that like hockey is more about just hockey. It's about, you know, human life and decency. And yes, black lives matter. And, you know, th- I, I saw a sign that says, yes, all lives matter, but your lives aren't in danger. Ours are. That's why we're saying black lives matter. Like, and it's great seeing these players, you know, standing up for that and helping out with it and doing what they can to help out. Like I know Detroit Pistons players 
participated in protests in Detroit. So it's great seeing, you know, these like Adonises, these athletes bringing themselves down to the people and, and helping them and joining them. So it's great to see that. That's uh, I guess that's where my, where my head's at right now and where I'm thinking with all this. So it's good to see them standing in solidarity and it's good to see changes starting to be made. The other thing that I really liked about, you know, the statements that people have put out this past week is, I mean, you know, I've read the statements from a couple of players like Kane, like Taves, like Larkin, you know, these guys who are superstars for their clubs. The thing that I like most about their statements is they don't read like the cookie cutter corporate statements that you read on Facebook or Twitter. These actually read like a real human wrote them. It's not this. Just so not hockey. (laughs) Yes, like that's the thing, right? Like, like you guys probably have seen it as much as I have. The cookie cutter corporate statements on Facebook and Twitter. We stand with the Black Lives Matter movement. We will do better, to be better. End of statement. Like just short, simple, generic. There's nothing to it. Statements with. (laughs) what seems like no actual action behind it. These actually read like a real person wrote them. Yeah, this definitely wasn't a a PR team writing it. And I have to, like, one of the things I've been thinking about throughout all this is if John McDonough was still the Hawks president, he controlled what they said and what the image was and the players and whatnot in so many facets would we have been able to see that and with McDonough out moving forward, will we get to see a little bit more of the humans, the individual people that are Taze and Kane and and the Hawks in general? I, I'm excited to see where the, the league in general is starting to move but especially in the Hawks, where it's been controlled for so long, that's that's a very curious thing for me. Well, I think that's actually a pretty good note to end on. Um, so with that being said, I think we're going to wrap tonight's episode. Um, as always, we'd like to thank you guys for tuning in to listen to the podcast. Uh, we appreciate you guys' listens. As always, if you would like to give us a follow, a share, a retweet, or whatever the social media currency is of choice on your platform, um, we're on Facebook. You can find us on Facebook at you know the Stickblade Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Stickblade Pod, all one word, no spaces or underscores or anything like that. You can find us also uh, via email. You can email us. The po- email is stickbladepodcast at gmail.com. And then However you listen to us, whether it be SoundCloud or iTunes, uh, feel free to give us a like, a follow, a share, a rating, whatever it is, especially on iTunes. Ratings and reviews on iTunes help the show a lot. Um, So however you want to get in touch with us or follow us, we really would appreciate it. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a podcast by fans and for fans. So we want to interact with you guys as well. Um. So we want to provide you guys plenty of avenues to do that. So with all that being said, again, for your host tonight, Jordan Linscott, and my co-host, David Barnhouse and Tim Stampanato, this has been another edition of the Stickblade Podcast. You guys take care of each other. You guys take care of yourselves. And most importantly, stay safe. Have a good evening. Have a good one. Whoop, whoop.